Well, it is good to be here. A uh, little less stress than finishing a doctorate here. So I I'm wondering if we start today, uh, if you would stand with me. Um, one of the reasons I'm here teaching this week is because a good friend and a great friend and family member of Tyndale, uh, Dr. Peter Dickens, is going to be having a very serious surgery tomorrow. And uh, long drawn out surgery. His wife is actually teaching in the leadership development class today. And I'm wondering if you would just join your hearts with me as we lift up Peter and his surgery that's going to take place tomorrow. Lord, we do thank you that you are a good God who loves us dearly and deeply, better than any parent could ever love their children. Lord, we thank you for our friend, our mentor, our brother, Peter. We thank you for your work in his life. And Lord, now as he processes the challenge of uh, lots of treatment over many years, we ask that you would give back to him restoration of his body. Uh, Lord, we pray for physical, emotional, and spiritual strength for him and for his family. We pray tomorrow as this long surgery takes place that your hand would guide the hand of the surgeon. Uh, you are the God that heals us and you work through all kinds of means and ways. So we submit to you and we submit this process of surgery to you and pray that full health and restoration would be realized in Peter's body. We pray that he would continue to be able to give back greatly to students, to leading, to, to Tyndale and beyond as he serves you and he serves his kingdom. So we pray our blessing on him uh, and his family tomorrow. Lord, as we look at your word, Help us to understand, help us not just to hear what you say, help us to live out what you say. In your name, Jesus, amen. Please be seated. Over the last decades within Christendom, there's unfortunately been a lot of tearful, bad public confessions. Time doesn't let us go into all of them, but, but when I researched for this, I realized there's a lot more confessions out there than probably we know about, and it's saddening and it's disheartening. But if we're honest, and if I'm honest, I think there's some of us that might have our own confession today. It's a little embarrassing, but it might be a confession of atheism. Now, not like atheism, we don't believe in God, or you probably wouldn't be here. I'd find that hard to believe. And, and not atheism like we don't think God exists. That's kind of a, a silly argument. Very few people believe that. And, and we know all of the arguments that you can keep your theology and philosophy classes that will do that. No, we're a special kind of atheist. We're Christian atheists. Okay, not that we don't believe in God. The challenge is that sometimes... Even though we believe in God and we believe in Jesus, we live that what Jesus said isn't actually true. Now, we believe it, but the story of our lives says something different. Uh, Parker Palmer, in his book, Let Your Life Speak, he used the, the descriptor of functional atheism. I've called it Christian atheism. He described it this way. It is the belief that ultimate responsibility for everything rests with us. This is the unconscious, unexamined conviction that if anything decent is going to happen here, we're the ones that must make it happen. It's a conviction held even by people who talk a good game about God. This shadow causes a pathology on every level of our lives. 
It leads us to impose our will on others, stressing our relationships, sometimes to the point of breaking. It often eventuates in burnout, depression, and despair as we learn that the world will not bend to our will. And we become embittered about that fact. Functional or Christian atheism is the shadow that drives collective frenzy as well. It explains why the average group can tolerate no more than 15 seconds of silence. If we're not making noise, we believe nothing good is happening and something must be dying. I see this pathology at times in my life. I pray, I trust God, and, and yes, we have a part to play in doing the work of God. We all know that. But sometimes we push it and push it and push it to say, I'm not sure God's going to deliver what God said he was going to deliver, and so I better give a little bit extra because God might not be big enough or strong enough to deliver. I see it all the time in churches. They pray, they trust God, and they burn themselves out trying to do the work of God. Why? Because the shadow that says, we say we believe these things, but we don't always live like we believe all of the different things. I can be. I think you can be. Someone who believes in God, you are a theist, but sometimes, frankly, we're Christian atheists. Now, if we go to Scripture, let me contrast that with someone who probably should have been an atheist or certainly not believe in Jesus who lived radically different and that's in Matthew 5 sorry Matthew 8 verse 5 and here's a picture of someone who came from a, a polytheistic emperor worshiping culture that lived like he believed that what Jesus said was actually true Matthew 8 verse 5 Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion, Roman centurion, came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies home, paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said, I'll go and heal him. Centurion replied, Lord, I, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go. And he goes, and that one come, and he comes. And I say to this servant, do this, and they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown out into the darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Just say the word and it will be done. You read the passage, the man didn't go home and on the way he went to Rexall Pharmacy to say, well, just in case... Jesus doesn't deliver, I'm going to pick up some medicine. He didn't go home and, and text message his administrator to say, make sure you get the doctor there so we can verify that what Jesus said was true is actually true. No, this man, this Roman man who should not have known better, simply took Jesus at his word. And he believed that what Jesus said was so true that he could live like what Jesus said is true. Now, before we say, oh, yeah, that's how I want to be, 
I've got a few caveats that I think are important. And let me give them, and this is a seminary setting, so it's a lot more fun, and I don't have to defend everything quite as much. But sometimes people say, I'm going to take God at his word, and I want to say, I don't think that means what you think it means, because I don't think God said what you think God said. So for example, over the years, do you know the number of people that have done stupid, idiotic things because God told them? So don't take your bad behavior and blame it on God. And someone says, I'm just trying to be true to God. From uh, oppressive regimes to unethical people, God didn't tell you to do those things. So don't blame God for that. Um, other ways that this can take place, and I see it as I work with lots of different churches and pastors, sometimes I hear people say, I just have this sense that God wants me to do it. And I think, if God's calling you to do it, wouldn't you do it in such a way that honors God? When you're going to quit that church because you're angry, wouldn't you do that in a different type of spirit than you did it in? So again, let's be careful on what we blame on God. Now, please hear me well. God's spirit can bear witness with our spirit, and we know that we have a word from God, and we need to live it out. But be careful when you do that. I'd also say that not every promise in Scripture is a promise. I, I, I've preached this sermon in churches, and I could see some people's faces getting sad, and I was like, should I have preached this or not preached it? But again, I'll feel more comfortable here to know that you've done great exegetical work in understanding the genres of Scripture. But sometimes when parents have kids that are taking wrong paths and making bad decisions, people will say, a promise from Scripture is that when you train up a child in the way they'll go, when they're old, they won't depart from it. And I say, hmm, I'm not sure that's a promise. I'm pretty sure it's a proverb. Is it usually true that when we train up our children in godly ways, that they're going to stick with it when they're old? Yeah, that happens most of the time. But let's not make Scripture say something that Scripture doesn't pretend to say. I find the same with Psalms, and I was so thankful that we were led into the presence of God by using Psalms, and we should read Psalms and, and experience God through them. But we also need to appreciate that these are people's spiritual journals of their experience with God. And because Psalm 91 says that uh, no harm will befall you and no disaster will come near you, doesn't mean that there aren't times that sometimes harm comes near us and sometimes disaster happens to people who follow Christ. There was martyrs throughout Scripture. There's present-day martyrs. So let's not make Scripture say something that Scripture's not saying. Because we don't take the same hermeneutic when it comes to Psalm 88 where uh, we read, why do you reject me and hide your face from me? Because we would say, well, he's having a bad day. God didn't really hide his face from him. This is our problem. No, let's, let's be good in our use of scripture. Over the years, I've heard other ones. Uh, Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for hope and future. And does God have a future hope for us? Yes. But let's remember that this was written to the people of God in exile. It doesn't mean that you're going to have plans in the future. One of my worst experiences working with the Canadian Baptist was I got a birthday card. And on that birthday card, they had the prayer of Jabez. And the problem was, for a month, I owned two houses. 
my territory was expanded. <laughs> I didn't want my territory expanded because I had double mortgage payments. <laughs> because we pray the prayer of Jabez doesn't mean we're going to be rich, wealthy landowners. Don't take a promise that's not a promise. I think my favorite one is what happens at most prayer meetings at Baptist churches when not enough people show up. <laughs> you know the one I'm about to quote. Wherever two or three of you are gathered. I want to say, does that mean if there's not two or three of us here, God's not here? Or does it, you know, does it mean if all kinds of different applications out of this? And we read the passage, and it's talking about church discipline. It has nothing to do with a lousy attended Wednesday night prayer meeting. <laughs> So, the other caveat is, sometimes scripture says stuff that doesn't do well on Hallmark cards. <laughs> Genesis 3. Here's a promise we don't often talk about. Ladies, giving birth is painful. It's a promise from scripture. Men and women, by the sweat of your brow and hard work, you're going to eat. Here's a promise. Jesus said to his disciples, and I think it's a true promise for us, in this world, you will have trouble. In all my years pastoring and in all my years working with different churches, no parishioner or pastor ever came to me and said, I don't know what's going wrong. Everything's going so well. God promised me trouble and I'm not having any. <laughs> it's a promise. First um, Thessalonians 3 uh, don't be surprised or unsettled by these trials. You know quite well you were destined for them. Everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. In Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed under humanity once to die. Here's some promises we have in Scripture we don't like to talk about. So, I'm done with the caveats. I'd like to go back to this great Roman centurion who lived his life like Jesus was actually telling the truth, and he lived into it. Jesus still wants us to live this way. God, by his spirit, can confirm things that we know to be true. We read scripture, and we know things that are right and true, and now we're challenged, will we live into that reality? The question for us today is, what truth do you need to hear from God? What promise is it that, that you need to understand from God so you can go like that Roman centurion and say, Jesus, just say the word. And I'm not going to second guess. I'm not going to doubt. I'm going to go live into that reality. Because I've given some caveats of what I sometimes think we might misuse scripture. There's limitless ways in scripture that we can hear and experience promises from God that need to move us forward. If you're in Christ... You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Live into the reality of being a new creation. Live like that is actually true, like Jesus was telling the truth. One of my favorites, and I like to say it to, to churches because Jesus said this to his disciples, a group of people. If anyone would come after me, must deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow me. Why? Because if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you're actually willing to lose your life for your sake and the sake of the gospel, you'll actually find it. 
So many churches are desperately trying to keep their doors open or save themselves. And I think if you'd actually lose yourself to the mission of God, you'd find life and health and vitality. This is a promise from God. And we can actually live like that's true, not trying to frantically do everything on our own, like Jesus wasn't telling the truth. Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. So in the midst of all the change and everything else, we can, we can live into that. Jesus said as well in, um, in, sorry, this was Paul, in Philippians 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and then the peace of God transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Do you need the peace of God? Present those requests to God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, a promise, seek first his kingdom, seek God's righteousness, and all of these things, all that we need is going to be provided for us. God will supply all your needs. We can live into that reality. Last one, and there's many, many others we could use from Scripture. Romans 8.28, we know that in all things, even the bad things, maybe especially in the bad things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Sovereignty of God in the midst of all the change and turmoil in our world. What are the promises that you need to hear from God? So we're left with the option. Do we, do we live like functional atheists or functional or uh, Christian atheists where we say we believe in God, but we actually live otherwise? Or will we live like this Roman centurion who simply took Jesus at his word, believed that Jesus just wasn't the truth, but he was actually telling the truth, and that we could live our lives like Jesus was telling the truth? What promise do you need to hear from God? What truth do you need to live into today? Take Jesus at your word, at his word, and know that it's true. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can be here. We thank you we have this great gift of spending time studying your scripture, seeing what you say, knowing the promises that you have for us through your word. Lord, we confess sometimes we get those wrong. But Lord, more importantly, we confess, we confess the number of times we got the promise right. But then we lived like it wasn't true. I confess that. We confess that to you. Lord, we thank you for the example of this Roman centurion who didn't just believe in you. He believed that what you said was actually true. He took you at his word, and he lived like it was true. So, Lord, we want to commit ourselves to being like that, to being Christians who fully believe in you and live like what you said is true. Help us to do that. Help us to discern your promises. Help us to hear what we need to hear through your word and through your spirit. In your name, Jesus, amen. So friends, depart from here leaving like what Jesus said is actually true. We do that because we serve a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen.